lines in the sand are being drawn. Man against man. Man against God. The final act is about to come into play as revolutionaries side with the devil in the hopes of staying out of his path. In the end, there will be only one victor, and he has already won. Whose side are you on? It's time to awaken the spirit within. Unleash him to his full potential. We will show you how. And then you could just see panic setting in with the people who are around you, where they're looking around, recognizing that all this is, and hearing this explosion. Everything in my sight is completely gone. It reminds me when I drove through Joplin, Missouri to go see my parents, where the heart of that F5 gets. This is exactly what I'm looking at right now. So far, no explanation of what happened here, but it really got the attention of a lot of people. Even as far away has been Salem reporting that they felt that their homes were shaking. Police radio have received a lot of calls. The police have received calls. Waking the Fury. Jeremiah is where I'm going to read from today. Chapter 9, 1 and 2, specifically this part right here. At times I wish I had a wilderness hut, a backwoods cabin, where I could get away from my people and never see them again. They're a faithless, feckless bunch, a congregation of degenerates. Wow. Boy... I can identify with that today. I can identify with the sentiment. I can identify with how it applies both to the church, because ultimately he was speaking about the people of faith of the day, and the, the way that it falls into what we call boomerang prophecy, prophecy that applied to a specific time, but is coming back around again. Because as we know, history repeats itself. We live in a society, first and foremost, that has targeted one brother and sister religion, Judeo-Christianity. Um, we don't, they don't want to, it's not enough that we don't express our faith publicly. But there are those in that crowd that would prefer if we weren't even allowed to practice it. And really, anybody that understands Christianity knows it's not a religion. Um, in fact, I would say what the world has put up as the alternative is the religion, the religion of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, and by the way, um, I'm not against rock and roll. I was using the, you know, the phrase... 
But it is sex, drugs, and excess, which is probably better. How much stuff can I get? How many toys can I accumulate? Um, there's a lot of talk in America right now about a coming civil war that I question if it would ever get off the ground because of the level of distraction that Americans are currently under. It's just, it's mind-blowing. I don't think a, a shot would ever get fired off because, well, we'll miss America's Got Talent. We'll miss Monday Night Football. We don't want our luxury to be interrupted. That's the bottom line. That's, that is... That is really the crux of every problem that we're having right now. And it goes for Christians, too. How many Christians are at church clock-watching because they want to miss the 1 o'clock kickoff? You know, and just don't want to be at church because there's other stuff they could be doing. There's stuff they don't want to miss. You shouldn't be watching the clock. You should be thinking, well... If football can't start any later, that's their problem. That should be your attitude, not I got to check my fantasy football or in Indiana, sports betting, all this stuff. Um, I hope church gets out soon. And there are people in church, there are people right now listening to this podcast that hear that and, and, and they get immediately offended. And the minute you take offense, it's usually because you're guilty as charged. Um which I would say it's time for an attitude adjustment. So we're dealing with a society that wants to silence dissidents. They, they want to silence people that believe in a being that could ultimately punish them for the evil things that they're doing. So basically it comes down to why, are they, why aren't they targeting Islam? Why aren't they targeting Buddhists or New Agers or Wiccans? Well, because Wiccan, none of those religions preaches that, you know, if you don't do what you're supposed to do uh, and you don't accept Christ as Savior, boom, you're done. Your eternity is bleak. We're the only ones that take a hard line on that. And it's a hard line. It's, it's, it's really difficult to preach the gospel based on that criteria alone. And we as Christians don't want to talk about it. And the other the, run, the ones that do get it wrong. We're not supposed to go out on the streets and tell everybody, hey, uh, you're sinning. You're going to hell. We're an, introduction, we're an introductory service. We're supposed to tell people about the divine attorney, the Messiah, the Savior, that got you out of the courtroom before you ever got into the courtroom. We're not doing that. Instead, we're trying the, the, the fire and brimstone message. And what has happened? Well, in the last three to four hundred years, the decline has been steady with a serious drop-off in the last 50 years. People are turning their back on Christianity and then joining the side that's condemning it because they don't like how they were treated. That punk rock guy that came to your church the other day and you complained to the pastor about his dress, wrong move. And if the pastor said anything, whether it was from the pulpit or to the person privately, it was the wrong move. You don't do that. Jesus didn't do it. There's no example anywhere in the Bible where Jesus ever condemned the lost. Not once. Church leaders, several times. And we need to get this message because this 
is where the feckless, faithless degenerates are. It's, it's the uh, old lady that looks like she's been sucking on lemons that complains about the coffee in the sanctuary. Really? With all that's going on in the world, with uh, you know, unborn children being murdered by the millions, okay, people confused, and I'm talking Romans 1 style, about sexual identity, you're worried about a cup of coffee in the sanctuary. And I'm going to call people out where they need to be called out, and I'm calling this one out. People that complain about dress, about if somebody has a Pepsi with them when they go to church, they have missed the boat. They're not part of the solution. They think they're part of the solution. They are not part of the solution. They are part of the problem. The feckless, faithless degenerates. Insert into that, and you're not supposed to add to the Bible, so don't go writing this in anywhere, but add to that mentally the, the legalistic, over, overly religious, the suit and tie crowd, the no coffee in the sanctuary crowd. Okay? All that stuff has to stop. We have to get together as people and accept people where they're at. So important. Where people are at. You don't expect people to, to meet your standard. People are busted and broken out there. People are hooked on drugs. They're doing meth. They're shooting heroin. They're, they're, they're smoking crack. It's a broken world. Everybody tells themselves, the world is great. The world is fantastic. The way things are, it just couldn't be better. And it's a lie. Because when they go home at night, and they turn out the lights and they lie in bed, they cry. Maybe not physically, but inside their head. The anxiety kicks in. The hopelessness of it all. The thought of, is this all there is? Did nature spontaneously create my life just so I can do this? Just so I can work at a nine to five job, making money for some overly wealthy person that has five yachts and a private island, and then I just die and I'm nothing more than a headstone that gets forgotten about after two generations. You don't think people have that thought? You don't think people think that deeply? Yeah, whether well, on a subreddit, they're not. When they're arguing uh, on a comment section of a Facebook page, they're not having those discussions. But those are the private thoughts that people around the world have every night when they go to bed. Every morning, we're in the shower. Anytime you're by yourself. Hell, the power goes out. Those are the thoughts we're having. Right now, as a Christian, you probably want to run and hide, and I don't blame you. I'd love to find a nice little place in the backwoods somewhere where I could just disappear. But we are getting further and further into a society where that is just simply not possible. We cannot just disappear. They'll find us. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is unless they're targeting you specifically, they're probably not going to look to begin with. True. But the second thing you have to look at is, are you a warrior in the trenches, locked and loaded, ready to take down the enemy and reclaim souls, or... 
Are you some hopeless drifter that just wants to live in the wild somewhere and not be bothered by anybody? Because the calling from Christ was not to be the drifter. I mean, it's fine if you're, you're a drifter and you're out seeking lost souls, and that's your calling, great, do that. But if you're doing it just to hide, then no. Our society is going to become more aggressive. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. This is the beginning of the age of sorrows. What we are looking at now is only a taste of what the tribulation will be like. And it's bad. Think about what some, uh, some other societies before us, think about the activities they were engaged in when they fell. Think about it. What were some of the things they were doing? Well, massive amounts of child sacrifice. But in those cases, at least the babies were born first. We can't even stand the fact that they're in the womb before we kill them. And nobody, nobody except a complete mental delusional actually believes that the, the garbage that is spewed about that's not a living thing. Because if somebody were doing that to pandas, if somebody were doing that to kittens... If somebody were doing that to any animal, giraffes, elephants, rhinos, any species other than humans, you can bet somebody would call it a crime. And you can bet somebody would say, wow, there should be laws against that. But when it comes to humans, we want the right to, we want the right to our body. And I shouldn't be talking about it because I'm a male. I'm a pointless, hopeless piece of garbage, part of the patriarch, all these things, because for everything that you can say, there will always be a rehearsed counter-argument. And by the way, none of the people that spew them, one, know where it originally came from, and two, came up with it themselves. That's how rehearsed it is. So how do you battle against that? Point three. How do you battle against that? You get well rehearsed. And what's the only weapon we have in our possession that can shut down lies from the enemy Point blank and period. That would be the Bible. Jesus constantly quoted the Bible, especially to his accusers. When Satan was tempting him in the desert, when the Pharisees and scribes would, uh, would come at him in the temple, when he went to the temple and there were people dealing, not drugs, just dealing, selling uh, sacrifices to make at the altar and whatever else the money changers were doing, quoted the Bible every single time. The biggest weapon you have in your arsenal right now, the greatest and best weapon you have in your arsenal at this moment in your life is that book. Now, suppose uh, I have trouble reading my Bible. I do too. Okay. Uh, the Bible, there's no other book in the world written like the Bible. Not one. And I also would encourage you to simply stay in the uh, New Testament. The Old Testament is a narrative historical account, meaning that it's, there's no exact timeline. We have a basic idea of when things happen, but there's nothing really written. And it's really... Its purpose, anyway, was to reestablish or to establish why Christ had to come to begin with. Why did Jesus need to come into this whole mess? Why, why was he needed? 
Well, look at, look at how many times Israel fell. Look how many times Israel was carried off in captivity. Look how many times Israel turned against the God that delivered them from Egypt and started worshiping false idols. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Except today our false idol is a television or a tablet or a smartphone or Facebook. Huge idol there. I would call that America's golden calf. Oh, ouch. That could put that in perspective, couldn't it? How much time do you spend on Facebook? You should be spending that time on the Bible app. You should flip those numbers. How many people have the strength to do that? There aren't many. There are not many. And I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you right now. But that is the truth. We, holy cow, do we have idols. Every activity that is taken up your life via electronic gadget should be flipped to either the Bible or the Bible app. You do that, your life will change. You do that, these people that come up with, uh, it should be a woman's right to choose, you will have the biblical counterpoint to that. Now remember, and this is tricky territory because we are trying to defend the right to life. It's, it's, it's more than a right. It's God's will. God's will is not for babies to be slaughtered, period. Okay? That pretty much trumps any argument anybody in the, uh, right, the, the right of choice crowd. Any argument they could come up with, God's will trumps it doesn't matter what they come up with, what science they come up with, what emotionalist-driven agenda they come up with. God's will, period, end. And God's will is, is, is etched in concrete. Okay? Rape sucks. Molestation sucks. Incest sucks. All counterpoints that they come up with of why uh, abortion should be legal. God didn't have all that mess. He simply said, do not, you shall not murder, which is reiterated in the New Testament. Murder is a premeditated idea. Now, a lot of people say, what about thou shalt not kill? What about our military? And then they cite the Old Testament of how many times that God sent his people into battle to slaughter and completely decimate, commit genocide, really, of another group of people. Okay? Kill is not premeditated. Killing is on order. <clears throat> Killing is often in self-defense. It's an entirely different argument than murder. Murder is premeditated. That is why abortion is murder. Because you have to decide early on, I am pregnant. I don't want this kid. I'm getting him, I'm getting him aborted. That is premeditated. How many millions of premeditated murders based on that standard do we have on our hands? How much blood? So when it comes to the issue of abortion, and this is the only place where this is different from everything else, if you're on the front lines of that battle, you know, and I mean like you're, pro, you're a pro-choice person, Bible-believing Christian, and you have to have these discussions, the only way you can do it is to set up God as the ultimate authority because that's the only way you trump all their arguments. 
because then you're going to force them into the God doesn't exist thing, so there. And then they've pretty much given up the argument at that point. Now they're just attacking your faith, and that's nothing. Everything else, we don't call out sins. That one, we're, we're fighting for the lives of unborn children. That is an entirely different matter altogether. But when it, when it comes to, you know, um, sexual lifestyle, it's not our place to call people out. We're supposed to introduce them to the divine savior slash attorney. The person that already went to court, argued, argued, argued sorry, our case before we even arrived at the courthouse and got it thrown out on our behalf. Before we even committed the crime even. How would you not want to know that person? Now you might say, yeah, but Acolyte, there, there's no, how do you convince them that God exists first? See, that's, that's where you get your second most powerful weapon, which is prayer. Sometimes the only thing you can do the only option you have is to get down on your knees and fight like a man slash woman. That is it. That is the only fight you can take. And believe me, there's plenty of examples throughout the Bible of angels being dispatched. There's one account where an angel got held up by the prince of Persia delivering an answer to a prayer. Plenty of examples. They think, oh, Look at, look at the wussy. He's praying again. Oh, go talk to your invisible spaghetti monster. They're going to do that. Just ignore them. Your heart, and believe with your heart, too. That's the other thing. Don't believe in your head. Believe in your heart. Feel God. Don't just think he makes sense. Feel him. And if you're not feeling him, boy, you need some fellowship. You need more time with God. You need to pray. But... They think that when you sit down and you pray, oh, it means nothing. It doesn't do anything. It's a pointless gesture. It means that they've given up. What they can't see is what's happening in the spiritual realm they don't believe in to begin with, which is one to a hundred angels being dispatched at the moment that prayer reaches God's ears. You don't think if you're praying for an unsaved person, God's not dispatching angels and putting things in the works immediately. It's not like you're asking for a new car to win the lottery. All right, Those are God's will things that you don't know may or may not be his will. But when it comes to saving souls, you can rest assured 100% of the time, all the way down to Adolf Hitler, someone was praying, and it was God's will that that person's heart be turned every single time. And knowing that, we know the only answer to this problem, the only way we can combat this is A, every counterpoint we will ever need is in that book, and B, when all else fails, get on your knees and fight like a man slash woman. I don't know why I feel the need to be politically correct. See what happens with our Western society? We can't say anything anymore. We're even afraid of each other. It's not what God wants. Something you should be praying about. We'll do part two later on how the generational divide is turning into a generational war between millennials, post-millennials, and pretty much everybody else. You can tell that we are getting to a place 
spiritually where God is going to have to intervene. I mean, people's heels are dug in. And there's a stubbornness in the air. There is a rejection of immortality that has become absolutely toxic. People have convinced themselves that it ends here. After this, there is no other anything. It just ends here. It ends when I die. Which, of course, is leading to places such as how do I conquer mortality? Let me ask a question today. If you're an evolutionist, I have been dying to ask this to an evolutionist, but outside of the internet, they never make themselves known. Never. It just, it flat doesn't happen. The internet has brought us anonymity, pardon for my uh, mispronunciation of that word, I struggle with it a lot, but it's given us the ability to be anonymous so that we can just shoot our mouths off. And in the last 20 years, most human beings have taken advantage of that fact. Arguing, protesting, and it has been used to quash people of faith by simply, I'm the loudest voice in the room, so be quiet. This is the fight part two. Here's the question I want to ask evolutionists. Now, evolutionists, I don't know what the number is, but it's millions. It's way beyond what the Bible tells us. And for those Christians that, that say, well, we don't, you know, we don't uh, really know. I mean, uh, a day is a thousand years for God. So that makes it 7,000 years. Let's say the earth was created in 7,000 years. It's still not 50 million. So that argument doesn't really combine evolution with creationism. And frankly, I don't really agree with anybody that says that the Bible is really speaking in secret codes that we can't understand because it makes the whole thing pointless to read. I believe God understood what kind of simple minds he was dealing with because uh, uh, he, can, he created them. So he understood and put it in human terms that humans would understand. And only a human could take something as simple as seven days and turn it into a complex algorithm that just confuses people even more. So let's say the evolutionist's number is 52 million years. I don't know what it is, and I really don't want to hear emails from people saying, oh, you got it completely wrong. It doesn't matter. 52 million, 52 billion. What's it matter? Here we are, 52 billion years later, and we still freaking die. How is that even scientifically possible? It seems to me that evolution evolves... The whole theory of evolution is eventually you evolve to the next level, except we haven't evolved from this level. We still die. 
it seems that evolution would have solved this problem. Now, you've got the other folks there. Well, you know, we've turned into a virus at this point, and so the Earth's just going to wipe us out. No, we're going to wipe ourselves out. We're going to wipe ourselves out because we fight constantly with everybody. We fight with the neighbors. We fight with other countries. We fight with our politicians. We fight with our own family. And eventually, you get pushed to the brink, and someone has to die. Now, I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about people as a group. Eventually, you get pushed to the brink, and someone has to die. Okay, you know, six, seven thousand years of humanity has showed us this. Recorded history has showed us this. Here we are, we can still die. And I don't mean, I think we'll always be able to kill each other. I don't think that's ever going to change because we're, we're swine. We're absolutely scum. We have, we have black hearts and that's the way it is. That's our nature. But we still get taken out by disease. Microorganisms we can't even see without the aid of a specialized piece of equipment. Really, this is, this is the best evolution can do. And so because we die, man figures out a way to capitalize on the 70-some-odd years he has to make his life as awesome as it can be. And by awesome, I mean sex, drugs, and rock and roll, particularly sex and drugs um, and money. we got to have money and toys because we're that... We're that empty inside that that's all we can aspire to. Look around. Look around your office. The people that work in your office, there are some good people. But there's a whole lot of bad people. Okay, Today's office environment is run mostly by fear. Mostly by make those numbers or we'll let you go. I've watched people get walked out of their office two weeks before retirement in states that have what they, uh, have what they call a no-fault clause. So here's another ugly part of humanity. A politician actually enacted and got voted in, into action a clause that says this exactly. You can fire somebody without any recourse on their part. They can't sue. They can't do anything. You don't even have to give a reason. You can just fire them. Oh, why? Because the guy at the top wants more luxury. Because he only gets about 75 years, so if he axes one more person at the bottom, he gets to live a little bit more comfortably. Now, this isn't theoretical. This is how it is. This is how people act now. Evolution has brought us here. This is the best nature can do. A completely corrupted race that kills its own, that tortures animals. And I don't mean killing for meat. I mean, you know, videos of a woman with a heel crushing a puppy's skull under her heel. Don't look it up. You don't want to see it. But I have, and it's ugly. This is what evolution has brought us. This is the brilliant theory of Darwinian genius that... In billions of years, 
The Earth has evolved over and over and over again, eventually spawned humans, and this is the pinnacle of definitely not perfection. Because look what we do with it. You can't even drive in traffic without seeing somebody's complete and total dark side. But this quote-unquote science is how people justify their very existence. Well, some people have a spiritual aspect. They think, well, I might be a ghost or maybe I get reincarnated. Anything but God. Do not bring the Judeo-Christian God into it. Anything but that. I'd rather be a ghost haunting a library than believe there's a God. Because the minute there's a God, all the bad crap I've done in my life, I suddenly have to be accountable for. And that's uncomfortable territory. And that's what the, the, the atheist fight is all about. It has to do with God will hold me accountable, so I'm just deleting him. And not only am I going to delete him, I'm going to figure out some really amazing arguments as to why he cannot possibly exist. Now, the accusation, of course, is that I can't prove God exists. But for the same exact reasons, that group cannot prove that he doesn't exist. So what you have is a spiritual stalemate. So atheists walk around with this idea that once they take the dirt nap, it's it. It's not a nap, it's permanent. So do everything you can and make your life ultimate, even if you have to crush other people below you. If you have to crap on your own neighbor, that's okay. Because the ends justify the means. And the spirit of atheism is growing by leaps and bounds. Our society is making longer and longer strides towards incriminating acts of faith. I got uh, recently into a discussion with a woman who was once a Christian and now rejects God. And she's very angry. That's, that's something I don't understand. These people are supposedly freer than I am, and they're all unbelievably angry. It's, it's, it's volatile. You light a match near it, it's going to go up. I mean, it's, it's bad. All these people that are supposedly freer than I am. What a lie that is. They're so angry. Well, how can you be angry if you're free? If you've found the answer, if you know what it is, and you don't have any regrets anymore, great. Stop being pissed off at me. I didn't do anything. Let me do my thing and leave me alone. Look, I'm not going to preach at you, okay? There's a scripture about tossing pearls before swine. I don't do that. If I talk to somebody and they reject my message, I move on. I don't argue anymore. I had my time in my 20s when I was rebellious and thought I could change the world. And believe me, millennials, it's a losing battle. Okay, if you change the world, it will not be for the better because if you try to change the world the right way, the resistance should make it damn near impossible. If you find that you've got a clear path and things are going ultimately the way you want them to, slow down. Because if you're doing the right thing, the world will oppose you. So... Let's just say 75 automatically, you're dead. 
this is amazing to me. You see, when I pass away, death is only the beginning. And this is a powerful statement that I think atheists have better freaking pay attention to. And politicians that are anti-Christian better pay attention to. And people who are anti-God had better pay attention to. When I die, and you can quote me on this, death is only the beginning. I don't mean I'm going to come back and haunt you. I don't believe in that stuff. Um, I move on to the next level. I level up. And when I level up, I've got an answer to a higher power. Now, this is where atheism falls flat. And the fact that I even have to point this out is pitiful, but this is where atheism falls flat. Atheism says their proof that there is no God is because children get raped. Starvation is a problem. By the way, things they've conveniently not fixed. Even though it's completely within their power to take people down a few notches so we get closer, they don't do it. Because, you know, Monday Night Football is on. But I digress. If there was a God, he'd make sure that people had food. He'd make sure that children weren't raped. He'd make sure there wasn't mass genocide. People like that nut job in North Korea would not exist. And on and on and on it goes. What they fail every time to recognize is when you walk away from God, you become Kim Jong-un from North Korea. You become the child rapist. You become the mass genocide perpetrator. You become the dictator that fills mass graves. Yes, you even become Lenin and Stalin. Because now you're an atheist. Now the ends justify the means. You've walked away the only thing that was keeping you accountable and living by any kind of moral compass because, read the Bible, God says, don't do certain things, okay? He's got a list of, of things that are destructive behavior, not just to you, or not just to other people, but to you as well. And you said, F that. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm doing what I want to do. Now, maybe for you that just means you have lots of sex. Maybe you try a few drugs, you know, and, and that's fine. But for somebody else, that means I want to see what it looks like when someone dies. And atheists never take that into consideration. They don't take it into consideration because they're spiritually bankrupt. You can't have an aha moment that says, hey, wait a minute, I walked away from God. That means somebody like Kim Jong-un can walk away from God. In fact, not only did he walk away from God, he told his whole country, if you have anything to do with God, you'll be dead as a doornail. Because he doesn't understand immortality because he rejected it. So the body count gets higher. But that's okay, right? Atheism, that, that's totally fine. Because we can pin that on God. We can't pin that on you. That was your decision or somebody like you who had a more extreme dark side that just said, eh, God doesn't exist because if I walk away from him, he won't stop me. Do you have any inkling? Do you have any understanding of what happens if God steps in? You think 
Joseph Stalin had a high body count? <laughs> Just wait. I remember Dr. Adrian Rogers, God rest his soul, he's, uh, he's with the Lord now, said that he was, this is one of my favorite quotes by him. He said that God created the world with words. Let there be light. Let there be land, etc. And he said, but here's the thing. If he's so powerful that he can do that with words, what do you think is going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon? In the Valley of Megiddo, when all the atheists, and it will be atheists, actually get it in their head, which this, by the way, is brilliant because it suggests they will have a moment where they realize God actually is real. But instead of now denying his existence, they're going to go into the, the Battle of Armageddon thinking they can defeat him. And they're going to bring nukes, maybe lasers, I don't know, depends on how far down the road it is. Nukes, heavy artillery, you know, chemical and biological warfare. They're going to take everything they have and throw it at the board. Thinking, something's got to kill them. Because arrogance. And God isn't going to shoot lightning. God isn't going to create fire. As they're charging at him, he's just going to look at them and say, drop dead. And the whole valley is going to drop dead. Boom. Done. I'm not afraid to stand and be counted. I've done it for 44 years. I've had places where I've backslidden. But one thing that the non-believing world has never been able to convince me is that their explanation is better than mine. If I'm right and God is simply withholding his wrath, it makes a whole lot more sense. It makes me feel a whole lot better than, well, this is the best nature could do, folks. This is what we get. This is the evolution process. We devour our own. We slaughter entire ethnic groups. In the name of false religions, we behead other people because they don't believe the same way. Not once in the New Testament has that given as an example. Not once. The Old Testament was an illustration. God gave those people hundreds of rules. And then allowed them to fail over and over again. From the Garden of Eden all the way in. And then, about the time it looked the most bleak, he sent his son. And his son says, you can't do it. You're fallen. You can't follow rules. You're always going to stop short. King David, man. King David couldn't do it. And he's one of the most hailed heroes of the Old Testament. He couldn't do it. Bathsheba just looked too good in the nude. Yes, she was nude. (laughs) Samson couldn't do it, and he had unlimited strength. Nobody could do it. The Israelites would have 50 years of greatness as long as they followed God. But then they saw that statue and were like, at least we could see that. Next thing you know, they're being carted off to Babylon. 
And then Jesus came. And he said, the reason you're failing is because you're trying to accomplish an impossible task. Accept my gift of salvation and forgiveness, and everything else will fall into line. You'll stop this mad, vicious circle that you've been stuck in. People always like to quote the Old Testament as to why God is a fraud. Because they don't fully understand what the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is to begin with. They don't understand that it's literally trial and error. That the point of the Old Testament is to illustrate what Jesus brings as a gift in the New Testament. You look back on everything that went on in the Old Testament and how much of a struggle it was and how difficult it was to follow. Who's sending women to outside the city limits during their menstrual cycle? Holy crap on a crutch. Nobody's doing that. But they had to because it was there in Leviticus. Men weren't supposed to shave their beards. You're not supposed to eat pig. There are some Christian religions that still won't eat pig even though it's epic. By the way, pig, the only meat that doesn't cause me stomach issues. <laughs> Take that, Leviticus. And some of those laws were conditional to the time and our technology. They were instituted because, hello, pig, trichinosis, who wants that? And atheists love to bring that up. Well, look at the Old Testament. God committed genocide. I always tell them, try to make that argument using only the New Testament. And they get mad. They get mad. Well, no, it's not in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. Ah, you almost get it. You almost get it. It's right there in the New Testament. Why is all this stuff suddenly not here? Why doesn't Jesus mention hey, you know, she's, uh, she needs to leave the city limits and you need to regrow your bit. He never mentions any of that stuff. Why? Because he is fulfillment of the law. Follow Christ and the law is fulfilled. Then you go into the book of Acts and they build on that. Look, no illicit sex, Okay? No stealing, no murdering. This is obvious. But let's not burden the Gentiles with the laws that put a yoke on our necks for so long. This is in the book of Acts. So all that stuff about your beard? Gentiles weren't part of the Jewish community. Those were Jewish laws. They had never been a part of that faith. And then you're going to bring them in and say, oh, and follow these 600 some odd laws or whatever the number was. I don't remember what the number was, I'll be honest. They're going, to, they're going to give up just like the Jewish people did. They're going to walk away unless somebody steps in and says, look, I am the Lord and he is, uh, I'm in the Lord and he's in me. I'm telling you, follow me. I fulfilled the law. It's done. It's finished. The victory didn't happen in lieu of the cross, the victory happened because of the cross. People say, well, I read the back of the book. We win. No, the ending's not in the back of the book. That's just the final act. 
The victory actually takes part in the middle at Golgotha. These are important things, man. The divide is that to you and me it should be obvious. Evolution, if, if it were true, has done an absolutely crappy job. And there's no hope for us. Eventually we will destroy ourselves. Because evolution, we were obviously experiment number one. We can't survive. Not like this. Not with the history that we know follows us. It's impossible. But if you believe in God and you believe in Christ, then you know you can succeed. Then you know that the end of the race is making it to the finish line and holding on to your faith with a death grip. Now, folks, we have a problem. We have a problem with the younger generation that both the boomers and Generation X have raised. Gen Y and Gen Z, millennials and Gen Z. And they are angry. And they are disenfranchised. And they're, they're uh, blaming, especially baby boomers, for every wrong thing that has ever happened. They're being taught by elitist professors at colleges to embrace ideologies that have killed people. They're not being taught, and my point of this is, they're not being taught to clutch the altar and to look to God. They're being taught that their brain can solve the problem. Even though in 10,000 years that has never been the case, this time it'll work. The people teaching and shaping their minds are doing so at an age when they are rebellious against their parents to begin with. And so it's easy to indoctrinate them in a new line of thinking. They come home and they are fundamentally transformed, argumentative, and angry. There's only one way out of this. We're going to have to completely give God the reins. The question is, are we strong enough to do so? Because we live in a time where the TV is on 24-7. We have a device in our hands, 23-7. We are always entertained. Because of this entertainment, we are not focused on the cross. We are not focused on kingdom work. And it's leading to our demise. The day is coming when they are going to hunt Christian like pheasant. Who knows, maybe it'll be a sport. Maybe people have stickers on their car. Christian hunting permit, no bag limit. We don't know how far ugly this will go, but Christians are gonna get blamed based on lies, based on a society that does not have any concept of who God is. We have to put down the entertainment. We have to put down the the, the tablets and we have to get off of Facebook. Don't engage people on Facebook. You can't win. You can't. I've watched 
discussion turn into argument, into argument, into argument. On Facebook, it's always the same. Everybody thinks they're an expert because they have a keyboard in front of them. I honestly think that's what it is. People feel smarter when they're typing. They feel smarter when you can't see their face. That's why some profiles don't even have a picture of the person behind it. And they're going to shut you down cold because it's what they do. Oh, but Vince, the, the reach, the potential reach of Facebook, the internet, is a cesspool, folks. I'm not saying it's the devil's tool, and I'm not saying never use it. I'm not that guy. But I am saying Reddit, Facebook, Twitter, these people have set up shop. And they, they run things by mob rules. If you want to witness to people, one person at a time. Don't go type a status message about something. Because the minute somebody has blowback and you answer, everybody's watching. They've got the popcorn out. They want to see how hard you're going to fall. Sometimes even your own Christian friends. Now let's see how he gets himself out of this one. I speak from experience. I did this for 20 years. Until I woke up and said, I'm not going to waste my breath on these people anymore. They've got the devil inside them influencing everything they do. I can't get through to them. So I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to tell them, hey, Jesus loves you. And if they curse me out, that's all they're hearing. I'm an introductory service. If they don't want to be introduced, who am I? I'm a human. I've got flesh and blood. I have done what the Bible has told me to do. I've witnessed. If I'm rejected, it's no longer my bad thing. But we got to start shaping minds with the Word of God. We've got to shut down the world's message. Okay? Uh, colleges are working overtime to get your kids to turn on their, uh, their, their spiritual beliefs, their traditional beliefs. They're rewriting history. They're trying to paint everybody that came before Gen X and Gen, or Gen, Gen Y and Gen Z as liars, people that wrote what they wanted in history books, not what actually happened, people that candy-coated over things. Yeah, because I was taught in school that the... Um, uh, the um, the thing with Germany was was just one giant birthday party, you know. I was I was taught that that was that was good times. Jewish people loved it. Are you kidding me? That's not what I was taught. But you'd think it, you know, with what's what colleges are teaching people, and that's tragic. God is going to have to fill the void. And either we start preaching the gospel like we're supposed to, or eventually he will do it. And billions will die when he does it. And I want to, uh, full disclosure, I'm not saying pick up a gun and be the left hand of God. I'm saying God will do it himself. He won't raise up human beings to do this particular mission. When it's time to, to stop the stupidity and the madness and the giving in to de the devil, he's going to do it himself. Like I said, drop dead. That's all he's going to have to do. We do not have to pick up guns. We do not have to pick up weapons. We do not have to build bombs. We don't have to shut down power stations. We don't have to do anarchy. It's not our call. 
We have to preach the gospel. We have to introduce people to the grand attorney, Jesus Christ. That's all we have to do. Anything beyond that, there's absolutely no instruction anywhere in the New Testament. The, the, the one scripture that people often reference to this, Jesus says the time is going to be sun to, uh, the, the time is going to come to sell your cloak and buy a sword. He's talking about defending yourself. In other words, you're being attacked. And there will become a time where you have to physically get into an altercation as a defense. But he doesn't say the time will come to buy a sword and then go out and kill people because they oppose me. He never says that. And anybody that tries to use that as a platform is lying to you. And this is why it's so important you know your Bible because you are going to get misled by some people and what they want is war. What they want is bloodshed and they want it on their own homeland. They want to see people die because they're so angry with everybody. That is not how we work. Our war is not with flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness. Pro tip. That's not human beings.